most people eat two or three meals a day and most people exercise a few times at least a week if not almost every day so what meditation is imagine that it does all three of those things for your mind it cleanses it it nourishes it and it exercises it and we think when we are working or reading or playing we're exercising the mind we are but we are actually also exhausting the mind at the time what vipassana and other forms of pure traditional meditation do is they take the mind to a much more of a quieter state where the only activity the mind is trying to do at least i should say is to meditate as opposed to when we're doing something else typically our mind is partly occupied in that direction and what you find is when you start meditating is that even with attempting to meditate your mind is is racing in a million different directions and so what vipassana is basically two things it builds awareness and it builds equanimity hey there friends welcome to happiness squad this is the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your full potential by mastering the art and science of happiness we bring on the best leading experts on these topics to help you unlock your true potential and live with more joy health, love, and meaning in your life. Your host is no other than the star combo of Ashish Katari and Anil Ramjiani, who are both on a mission to provide you with an unfair advantage to be the masters of your experience and leaders in your industry. Get ready to be moved, challenged, and enlightened on this podcast. It may change your life. Thanks for being here and joining the squad. Hey, Happiness Squad, this is Anil and Ashish. Are you ready to hear about a transformation of mind, body, and soul? Our guest today dedicates time to meditation, similar to as a professional athlete dedicates it to their trade. He counsels CEOs and advises boards on their most strategic issues in public and private sector within healthcare, M&A, and organizational change. This is Manish Chopra. He's a senior partner at McKenzie & Company. He grew up in India and attended college at the IIT in Delhi before completing his master's and PhD from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. He's lived and worked across North America, Asia, and Europe, and he now lives in New York with his wife and his daughter. Manish spent 10 amazing days at a Vipassana retreat, and this changed his life forever. He shares his experiences in his own book, The Equanimous Mind. But today, listening to his mental, physical, and verbal transformation after 10 years of practicing Vipassana meditation is truly powerful. I highly encourage you to connect with him and visit with him at www.equanimousmind.org. And as Ashish and I are now truly excited to have you join us, welcome Anish, and explore Vipassana. And I promise you, this chat will lead you to your own transformation. So lovely to have you with us, Manish. Thank you for joining Anil and I for a conversation around mindfulness and the power of mindfulness in organizations. Hello, Manish. It's great to be with you, Anil. Thank you for having me. So Manish, maybe I'll just start with the question, you know, on um, happiness and, you know, what does happiness mean to you? Well, that's a big question. I think happiness certainly is a state of mind, but maybe simply put for me, what happiness is not needing something more to feel fulfilled. 
so it's a state of contentment in some ways and it's a state of uh, feeling a sense of joy uh, which may be transitory sometimes but often lasting so a state of contentment and joy would be how i might describe uh, what happiness means to me yeah beautiful right so it's technical definition of happiness that so many talk about subjective well-being so my next question is what brings you happiness what are things that make you happy you know i actually have thought about this a fair bit um you know not in solving for happiness but solving for well-being actually and i have kind of narrowed it down to this four things if in my life are going well that i'm just generally happy and then you know momentary stuff doesn't change how i feel and those four things are in no particular order but my work life my purpose how i'm expressing myself in a professional manner my family life my relationships with my closest loved ones and then you know it's in whatever order you want to put these in meditation and exercise when those four things are going well or in some measure going well enough i am generally very happy and you know today is a day you find me in that mode when either one of those goes below a baseline then it first starts impacting everything else and it just brings the overall happiness index down if you could call call it that so those four things taken together uh, bring me a lot of happiness and joy Yeah I love the simplicity of it for our listeners I'm just going to repeat that right so you said number one meaning you know which has been coming up a lot in so many conversations you know work life integration and really meaningful work right work that has meaning for you I think the second thing which is around relationships with family and friends and you know science and science and philosophy and psychology all point towards man being a social animal and our relationships with family friends are so 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 important so second and then the third and fourth right are elements of physical and mental well-being which you talked about exercises and mindfulness and when those are at the base level you are happier you know more more in control of what's happening around so talk to us a little bit manish around your origin story and how you actually discovered uh and kind of created these practices right these practices that allow you to have really the power of mindfulness and vipassana in your life how you discovered it that's the context in which i had a chance to meet you when i was at mckinsey to share a little bit of that story because i think it's a beautiful story and will resonate with so many listeners i hope it does um i um look i think you know the story so i'll uh, summarize it a bit more for the listeners I think it goes back about 10 or 12 years. I was already a partner at McKinsey. I had a loving wife, have a loving wife and you know fond of sports like squash and other hobbies like playing bridge and what I felt was a pretty fulfilled, enriching and productive life. I was really fond of traveling. I just moved to Singapore just out of a sense of personal and professional renewal. So in many ways you could argue think couldn't have been better or at least on paper things were as good as they get and on the outside certainly it appeared that way and maybe i didn't even know that there was some subliminal things for me to wrestle with until i unexpectedly found myself in one of those 10 day silent meditation retreats which as you reference is called vipassana and it's an ancient technique that's been around for thousands of years but in some ways is still a little bit of a 
less well known um, in the mainstream manner. Uh, I know mindfulness as a term has caught on a lot of attention, but I would a little bit separate mindfulness as an outcome versus meditation as a practice that leads to mindfulness uh, as an outcome, as opposed to practicing mindfulness. But leaving that aside, I went into this retreat with one goal, which was, you know, perhaps I would get some amount of stress relief and particularly related to my work. And what happened rather surprisingly, at least for my expectation, which was not much, was I came away not just with not feeling stressed, which became almost like a side benefit, but it led to a complete overhaul of my life's orientation, whether it was related to relationships, uh, my own personal habits like you know diet, alcohol, caffeine, my focus towards more purposeful pursuits, you called it meaning. I already felt like I was focused on rather purposeful things. Um, I work mostly in the healthcare sector and something I feel strongly about making a difference in, but I became even more selective in my line of work. And I felt so compelled that what had happened with me was worth other professionals particularly hearing about, because if I remember my old self, uh, and this is well before meditation and mindfulness have become as mainstream as they have, was there were people who would not touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. In fact, my own resistance and barriers, like I tell my wife, uh, who was encouraging influencer behind me attempting this, was that I don't have 10 free minutes in my day. You're asking me to take 10 days out of my work life. And oh, by the way, I talk for a living. Um, and <laughs> you want me to be silent for 10 days. And never mind, you know, I, I'm very fond of drinking. And this place requires you to abstain from alcohol on and on and on. And so there's so many things about it that were a real you know, uh, threshold issues that I would have struggled with. But in the end, I, I can safely say I came out a changed person on the other end. And because I felt compelled to share what had happened with me, I spontaneously penned a book about that 10-day experience. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. And it's actually living history as in uh, it, the story still continues. It's an amazing story. I, you know, just to delve a bit deeper into that, uh, Manish, if we think about like currently we've got apps out there, there's Headspace, there's Calm. I personally, um, I started meditating to, to Chopra and Oprah back in the day. And more recently I found something else, but when I hear about Vipassana, um, could you maybe help our listeners understand what's the difference between the practice of Vipassana, um, versus maybe other forms of either meditation or practices that lead to mindfulness? Sure. Good question. Um, let me start with a bit of a counter question, Anil, since we're getting to know each other through this podcast. Uh, if I could put you on the spot for a second, what do you do for uh, fitness or exercise, if much of anything? And I, I don't know, so I'm just genuinely asking. Sure. Um, so I'm a, I'm a triathlete. So I actually run, swim, cycle, and uh, weightlift. I was actually telling Ashish earlier that used to be my form of uh, mindfulness, but I realized it's not. That takes care of the body, but not the mind. But that's uh, that's how I train. That's how I try to keep fit. It's it, it can be meditative though, intense physical activity. And if I could just ask further, um, how long do you typically do these triath when you do these triathlons, assuming you do them, or even training? Uh, how long do you typically spend uh, doing that? Yes, yeah, so I will go from anywhere from thirty-five minutes to upwards of 
maybe up to four to five hours. So uh, depending on the day of the week or if it's a weekend. Yeah. So you've answered my question in a way, um, which is, you know, if I think about true meditation and if we really want to both unlock the power of the mind and to make it calm, you know, a 10 minute guided audio is the equivalent of saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to go for a 10 minute jog and that'll make me feel healthier. Right. So without kind of commenting on any individual apps, I can safely say that I use none of them. And I genuinely believe that if people are expecting some miracle from this gimmicky stuff that's out there, again, nothing to take away from the entrepreneurs and innovators that are trying to bring this to the masses. It's a little bit like if I had to say to you, you know what, just swim for three minutes, bike for three minutes, and then run for three minutes, and you're going to feel great. And you say, Manish, you know, that's going to take me, that's just a change of time alone. No, 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 you only have 10 minutes to do all of this. So what Vipassana is the equivalent of your multi-hour exercise regimen for those who are willing to take the plunge and those who are looking for those kinds of significant life-altering benefits as opposed to gimmicky stuff. I mean, I even came across a book recently that says uh, Meditation in a New York Minute and a very catchy title. And it's actually written by a friend. And I was thinking, oh boy, we're, we're definitely going in the wrong direction. <laughs> now we're going to give people an impression that in one minute they can meditate and get something out of it. So I say this because this is actually a question I get a lot and I have a strong view on it, which is to, um, if you want to really change the way your mind functions and how you feel about yourself, you're going to need to think of this as exercise and not just exercise. In my mind, meditation is the combination of nutrition, exercise, and cleansing. So just like we take a shower every day, we eat two or three meals a day. I know there's a lot of fads going on about fasting right now, but let's just say most people eat two or three meals a day. And most people exercise a few times at least a week, if not almost every day. So what meditation is, imagine that it does all three of those things for your mind. It cleanses it, it nourishes it, and it exercises it. And we think when we are working or reading or playing, we're exercising the mind. We are, but we are actually also exhausting the mind at the time. What Vipassana and other forms of pure traditional meditation do is they take the mind to a much more of a quieter state where the only activity the mind is trying to do, at least I should say, is to meditate. As opposed to when we're doing something else, typically our mind is partly occupied in that direction. And what you find is when you start meditating is that even with attempting to meditate, your mind is, is racing in a million different directions. So just keeping it on, on the focused objective of meditation is, is hard enough. And so what Vipassana is basically two things. It builds awareness and it builds equanimity. So the first part of the Vipassana technique is to help you regain the focus of your mind. And the second part of Vipassana meditation is to build balance of your mind. And once you've done those things, there is a third step, which is to cultivate kindness and compassion. But only a focused and balanced mind can truly cultivate compassion and kindness because it's not being pulled in too many different directions. So maybe that gives you a general idea uh, of what Vipassana is, but I'm happy to go into uh, more detail. 
Manisha, I loved, I loved, there were so many nuggets here of what you just shared, right? This notion of we exercise, right? And we don't think about exercise. In fact, over the last 20, 30 years, right? Like physical exercise, there is so much knowledge and there's so much, frankly, progress on people actually doing 30, 45 minutes every day, if not three to five days. I think that same level of awareness, um, right? About somehow meditation is just not there. And we know how connected mind and body are, right? So I think your, your challenge to people to like really think about completely reframe the question, right? It's not about, can I do this in a minute or five minutes? It's about why wouldn't you? That's right. Why wouldn't you think about building this practice, right? And the hesitation people have like I did, so I can completely relate to that, which is why I'm having this conversation like this and I care about people hearing this is I had the same set of challenges, which is where is the time, right? And like I also say to people, you know, people say, Oh, but why is this retreat 10 days long? Why can't I do a weekend retreat? <laughs> and then I ask people the question. I mean, I can give my example. You know, I learned swimming late in life. I was already an adult when I learned how to swim. I didn't say, you know what? I'm going to learn how to swim in a weekend. Or I'm going to watch a YouTube video. I'm going to just, just jump into the pool. And I'll flap around. I'll figure it out. Because the YouTube video has got the descriptions of how to swim. You need to learn something which is comes naturally to people after they've learned it, like swimming from people who know how to swim because it's no joke, right? You don't want to drown. And secondly, it takes a long time to learn how to swim. Usually in this case, you know, several sessions over several weeks, but you can also do a boot camp. And sincerely learning how to meditate can only really happen through an introduction to a boot camp like the one that Vipassana is. Anything short of that will be a great experience for a short while and it will disappear because, you know, from all the research that they've done to see how long does it take to at least instill the concept initially, just initially, and you've got to do one of these every year. But I can tell you, even as a senior partner at McKinsey, the ROI, the return on it is so significant that the 10 days feels like a tiny investment relative to the year-long benefits that I get, which in addition to having to continue meditating every day, it's like saying, you can't say, you know what, I'm going to brush my teeth on the weekend. Then I'm good, right? I don't think people are going to be want to be around you. But our mind is also collecting dirt or the cavities are filling up and we're not choosing to cleanse it or floss it. Just like the dentist says, you got to floss every day. You know, the mental mentalist is saying you've got to meditate every day and you've got to meditate for a serious amount of time and the guarantee is it will not detract from anything else you do in your life for those people who are rather militant about their exercise regimen and i'm one of them in addition to my commitment to meditation is we can't live without it it's it's not an optional activity anymore it's what kind of is the engine that fuels the rest of the energy production that happens that leads you to be able to get so much done and still not feel exhausted. I mean, you'll, you'll know, for example, that people who don't exercise, they're not only lethargic. I'm not trying to shame anyone here, by the way. I'm just using that as, again, an example. People who don't exercise are typically lethargic. They usually tire out more easily from other activities as well, mental activities, right? At work. Yeah. People who exercise they feel like they have more hours in their day, even though they invested that time in their exercise. 
meditation is much like that you invest that i mean i feel like even though i commit anywhere from 1 to 2 hours every day to meditation i feel like i have 26 hours in my day because the same tasks take me a lot less time to do my relationships with people have changed where i can get to a good space with them even if there is controversy or conflict more quickly i choose not to do a bunch of things that were frankly taking away energy from my life and that has created not just headspace but literally time capacity in my day and week that boy you know i i i feel like a uh, a big bounty got dropped into my lap are you enjoying the show so far let me ask you a few questions before going back have you ever wondered why so many of us struggle with stress anxiety and burnout and feel stuck in life heck maybe you're going through this right now well the reason for this lies in the evolutionary biology of our brains which are hardwired for fear it's part of the reason why our team named this podcast happiness squad it serves as a reminder that happiness is what really matters and that we are in this together and that is why we are so excited to share with you a resource to help you on your journey one of our hosts ashish gatari launched a book hardwired for happiness and it is a number 1 amazon bestseller when you get access to this book You will discover nine secular practices that can change your life and are backed by scientific evidence from psychology and neuroscience. Learn how you can integrate hardwired for happiness practices in every part of your life to unlock your best self regardless of how busy you are. Shift from knowing to doing to being with a range of journaling, meditation and group coaching exercises and so much more. Go to www.happinesssquad.com/book to get access right now. We also have bonuses on the page that you don't want to miss. Once again, www.happinesssquad.com/book. And now, back to the show. Manish, if I were to now say typically when you do a an exercise program, they always say, "Hey, 30 days before I look like this and 30 days after I look at me now, I've got a six-pack or I've lost X amount of weight." I would ask you for what you've done is clearly not external it's probably both internal and external. How would you help our our listeners understand like the change that you feel in yourself or that you see in yourself since you've been doing this for the last 10 years? That's a great question and in fact in classic consultant style I very much wanted to address that for myself that it there really has been a from to and the from to wasn't just with the initial retreat experience you know it continues on and obviously it's what you put in is what you get out of it but anil i would say that um, i'd categorize the changes that i've experienced at three levels at the mental level the mind level um, the physical level and then in terms of your speech or language because uh, those are really the three activities that people have is it's either a physical activity a mental activity or a verbal Uh, vocal action right so in terms of mental i'll just give you some examples right i was your classic easily distracted multitasking person and attention span of zero to negative right you know hard to keep on task <laughs> and thinking yet that i'm being very productive um just like we're having this conversation and i'm not trying to text people on the side m- much as demands of work sometimes force you to have to do certain things like that is i am much more a one activity at a time person and oh by the way as research has shown as you can try it on your own you are a more productive when you do one thing at a time and b you're actually more effective at it 
And finally, you actually save time, not lose time when you do that. So I was just unconsciously prone to multitasking and kind of flipping around in different things versus really kind of focusing. And Manish, by the way, the other one from research is zero. So you're not only like, so for our listeners, right? When we multitask, most 95% of us are not good at multitasking. We're just basically just serially switching. Switch tasking. Just yeah. like, you know, processors are. And that, by the way, takes a real mental toll. That's right. right. So it actually makes us even in addition to less productive. And it's about 25, 30% productivity that we lose efficiency because you're starting and stopping. You're also exhausting the brain. So you actually are... Truly, right? Uh, depleting your energies. That's right. I've you're actually, depleting your energy. And- no, sorry. I was just going to say, it's like I've been told the same thing. It's like you're actually effing up multiple things simultaneously rather than getting all of it done right. Well, here's the worst part. Well, that is true. When there's a few other kind of minor asides, one is that it's also downright just impolite to do that, right? I mean, you're not really paying attention to the thing that you're doing, or especially if it involves some other person. But here's the worst part, if it even matters to people. Multitasking is an addiction. Let me repeat that. Multitasking is an addiction. But then when people actually don't even need to multitask, they are now accustomed to doing multiple things at once, that their mind, unless they're trying to do that, they feel like something is unusual or something is off. And that perpetuates the vicious cycle of, Continued multitasking and that exhaustion of the brain, as you talked about, never mind, you're not being more productive to begin with. So that's one big thing that I'm now much more conscious when I do the switch tasking to your point, Ashish, it's very conscious and it's very intentional. And it's because I can actually tune out of one thing and then switch to the other. We talked about stress earlier. Um, You know, my wife used to jokingly call me a stress bunny uh, before. You know, not the Energizer Bunny, but a stressed out version of the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> and, um, and now, you know, I feel like I went to this retreat thing. I might learn how to relieve stress. Now I feel like there was stress removal. It's eradication of stress. You, you, the stress doesn't arise in the same ways that it, that it used to. You know, I used to be very wrapped up in my self-worth that was built around my academic achievements, my professional achievements and monetary gain. To now, the real way I measure whether my own worth or when I meet other people, that used to be otherwise the formulaic thing. Where do you go to school? Where do you work? How much money do you make? That's what we're usually sizing people up. And then to much more of like, hey, how is this human being? How are they showing up in society, in life? And what are they fulfilling their life's purpose? So these are things that have just fundamental shifts that have happened um, at, at a root level that almost is just impossible to go back to. At the physical level, I could go on and on, but like these things have been mentioned before. I've written about this, but pretty much since that first retreat, I spontaneously stopped drinking alcohol. And for those who knew me, I used to drink practically every day. I was certainly within the clinical limit for adult men, but just about. And I don't crave a drink anymore and I feel relaxed all the time. The whole idea that drinking is there to relax you just just completely got eviscerated through learning meditation. I realized how much more relaxed I now am. I stopped eating meat. I became a vegetarian. Again, grew up eating meat, was part of my diet, gone. I'm practically vegan now. Um, and that the reason for that is not a health benefit. It's just the idea of harming animals for my food consumption just no longer uh, sits well with, with my kind of orientation. 
this may or may not be a popular thing to say my sleep requirement has dramatically decreased and i'm not intentionally trying to deprive myself of sleep or i have insomnia or anything like that what naturally starts happening when you start meditating is meditation can also be considered as a wake rest because most of us people who are knowledge workers even though we do a little bit exercise here and there we're not professional athletes that tire out as much as you know the, you know we think we do because of our bodies it's our minds that exhaust us more you know you've heard the saying people say i couldn't go to sleep because i have a lot on my mind not because i wasn't tired enough i was tired but i still couldn't sleep so when you start meditating your mind is getting rested during that hour of meditation or whatever long you're doing and therefore the same thing that you're doing in sleep which is you know the assimilation and all of that stuff again i'm not a neuroscientist but my lived experiences my sleep requirement has gone down hour for hour for the amount of time i meditate in a given day and that stood the test of time and it's equilibrated to you know good 2 hours less than i used to sleep before or about at least an hour look on on health related things and i'm not ashamed to admit this but i was a classic pill popper uh, before i met meditation and now i've probably gone too far the other extreme when i'm basically a self healing nut now unless it's a life threatening thing i don't take any medication and the only medication so to say that i remember taking in the last several years is the covid vaccine which i felt you know appropriately so i have chronic asthma was worth you know introducing into my body but again i could go on and on but these are some of the physical things and then just to wrap up on the speech and behavior aspects on the language things um you know i whether i where i went to college or high school or grew up in india but i i used to swear like a pirate and this may be a minor thing but pretty much like every sentence or two would have punctuated with um you know uh, four letter words and so forth and now i i can't even i can't even form a swear word in my mind it's just that chip just got removed from wherever that was and often you know i'd find myself previously framing a difficult situation even a difficult situation with negative choice of words where i find myself now spontaneously trying to reframe that into okay what do we need to do about it as opposed to dwell on the negativity aspect of it and finally i'll wrap up with this notion of conflict resolution i was pretty consumed with the idea of proving my ideas to be the quote unquote winning ideas or proving myself right and maybe even at the expense of other people wrong and what meditation does is it also starts to lower your ego and that's kind of a topic that'll be hard to cover in a short podcast but when when your ego starts getting lowered you start to open up more genuinely to what others have to say about a situation and when you do that your ability to resolve differences of opinion just goes up automatically because you start seeing other people's points of views not just your own point of view as as the main point of view and i genuinely feel cheerful now when sometimes the outcome of a conversation is it wasn't my viewpoint coming into a meeting or a conversation was the one that we agreed upon was the way forward so those are just some examples uh, it's a it's a long list but i uh, hopefully that gives you a bit of a vignette into some of the changes that i'm no i love it i love it manish i think and anybody you know any of our listeners i think there are so many people who will say things like i don't have the time right if if that doesn't leave them convinced around the benefits of truly building a meditation practice and, you, and that's truly like you know we take care of our bodies it's time we actually start taking care of our minds 
um, I think we will make such a big dent in kind of addressing the mental health crisis, right, that we are all swimming in the midst of, you know, across all levels. And, you know, in, in these spaces, the answer is not to do more, but actually find the space, right, to really work, work on our mind, to really kind of be able to calm it, to be able to integrate some of these practices that allow us, number one, to try, truly be, you know, truly train ourselves to, to not multitask, but single task, to truly be able to give the space, as you said, like this is as much about strengthening the mind, it's about cleansing the mind. And the benefits are, by the way, multi-focused, right? Like we, are, we get better in terms of our minds, we get better in terms of a physical, we get better benefits in terms of our relationships. So, so, so many, so many different benefits. Quality of sleep, I've noticed, I didn't even mention this until now, it just occurred to me, which is both mental and physical, because sleep quality has so much to do with how you feel during the day. I used to sleep a lot before, but it was not good quality sleep. And whether that's because of drinking or whether that was because of uh, just being hassled, that I've, I found that my sleep was not as restorative, even though it was longer, like eight hours of sleep or something or seven hours of sleep. Now, in much less than that, I wake up with a bolt and I feel completely rested. And I didn't do anything different in my day than I did before in terms of my work and da 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 da. In fact, maybe I'm even doing more than I used to do before. But the same, same person is sleeping differently, sleeping less, but actually resting more through that. And I think that's a thing that actually has... There's been studies shown that the quality of sleep, and I know they talk about the quantity too, and I differ on that point of view because you're substituting that with meditation to an extent. It's like sitting sleep, if you will. It's, it's just remarkable. Like I, I feel completely awake versus before. I haven't set an alarm in a long time, even for very early morning flights. And before I need like the alarm, the snooze, all of that stuff, uh, and the cup of coffee ready to, to get out of bed. So. So Manish, as just keeping an eye on uh, time, right? I think you, you've obviously seen a lot of benefits. You've integrated this into your life. You know, for, for listeners who are busy executives, consultants, you know, younger, you know, younger versions of you who are still kind of, you know, they listen to all this and they're still this scared of like, oh my God, am I actually going to be able to do this? What might be some tips, right? What are some baby steps that people can actually start to take? that will eventually get them to, you know, a Vipassana? What are some things that they can take care of their well-being that you would advise for them? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a practical one. Um, and here's how I would also try to answer it, right? I think I keep coming back to you. You do have to enter this thing with a seemingly big commitment, but it's actually not. When I went to Vipassana, I realized all this later that I was 35 at the time. And I ran the math like 35 years was roughly 14,000 days or something, right? So I'd lived this kind of life without this consciousness of meditation and the power of it and so forth. Spending 10 days out of 14,000 days that I'd lived, it's, I don't even know what the decimal digit on that is. It's, it's pretty low. And spending 10 days even every year or two hours every day, it's actually a drop in the bucket relative to our overall lifespan. And what I can guarantee people is that if you try this thing, you will not come back and feel like I wasted my time. In fact, you will feel like this was probably the best vacation you gave your mind. 
not necessarily your body because there's a lot of hard work involved because you know even when we go on vacations you know so called vacations where we're trying to unplug and this and that we take our devices with us we take our troubles with us you can't say oh i'm going to park my all my stresses into you know leave them home in denver and now i'm off to hawaii you know denver is in hawaii as well because you can't stop thinking about the things that you're thinking about when you go into a meditation retreat you just drop the anchor it's like the plumb line that just goes straight down and you dip into this well of stillness and silence that you just don't have in your life anywhere unless you have the kind of discipline to really go into the mountains without your devices where there's no cell coverage it's just not possible so why i mention all this to say people might take away this okay got the message of meditation i'm downloading xyz app and i'm going to do my 30 day whatever trial okay good if that's where you want to start that's fine but you know work yourself up towards something more significant and the other advice i give people trying to integrate this is you know my wife recently told me i haven't read it but because i don't probably need to at this point there's a book came out called the 5 am club that this ceo wrote the book saying you know pe- most people that are really successful really start early in the morning and that's how the day gets set up and they invest their time in the morning whether it's for exercise for deep thinking time whatever it may be to focus on uh, focus on that and i think that's one of my lessons for myself and i don't have to force myself because of what i just told you about the sleep and the waking up early you just wake up i just wake up and i used to be a very late night person and now i'm not and I, or i can be both if needed but why i mention this is if you are really serious about anything which is quote unquote extracurricular it's not part of your day job it's not part of your responsibilities as a family member or whatever you're going to need to start somewhere and i find at least that the first thing in the morning before the family wakes up or not they could be awake before the world starts to kind of go wild with you know expectations of meetings and emails and calls and this you invest the time there so i am able to do both phys- physical exercise and meditation early in the morning before it all begins and therefore that just sets me up for an amazing day so i would say that's one way to do it the other way to do it to integrate it is for some people what's helpful is a little bit of a group effect is you need some set of people who are also committed to a journey like this so meditating in a group or like people exercise in groups right there are running groups um there are different competitions that force you to have to come together to you know do various fitness things the same thing is true for meditation you know there is a little bit of a group effect sometimes when your resolve is weakening meditating with with a bunch of other people helps but the main thing i keep coming back to the reason to start with something significant is once you see the benefits of this first hand not reading the book or watching a youtube testimonial or you know oh now everybody's talking about this because it's important for mental health and in the covid culture and all that no you need to experience it first hand because guess what we're very smart beings we only incorporate in our lives when we see the f- benefits first hand even then by the way people are somewhat um uh you know what's the word like yeah uh, irrational i mean there was this article that was once came out about physical health it's called change or die it's a story of people who went through a heart attack and got you know complete like cabbages done which is the cor- coronary artery bypass uh, done 
And then they followed these people like in five or 10 years later, they had already gone back to their old lifestyles that led them to have those heart attacks. Right. And this is now actually a matter of life and death. And they'd had that lived experience. But guess what? They hadn't been given the tools of how to really change out of that lifestyle. So what I'm saying is as an analog here, and please don't misinterpret this to mean that meditation can cure heart disease. That's not the implication of this comment. The point I'm making is a different one, which is when you experience the benefits of something firsthand, then you maximize your chance to actually follow through on the thing that led to those benefits. Yeah. If you haven't experienced the benefits, then easy to fall off the wagon. Yeah, no, it's they're so beautiful, Manish. And, you know, I, you know, as you know, in May, um, you know, followed your lead and, and went to uh, the Vipassana meditation. And I, you know, the benefits that you talk about, I mean, I experienced them. You know, I have started, my day starts now at 4.35. And again, it's not because of an alarm clock. I just wake up, right? You don't, you wake up at the, you know, before the crack of dawn. And I think that's a, that's a very powerful practice that has actually really helped me, right? So I'd invite our listeners, if we can do this in the morning, right? First thing, we find space for meditation. We find space for physical exercise. I actually also do about a 30-minute spiritual reading in the morning. Just something to kind of orient the brain to something other than this fight for survival that we seem to be fight, you know, always finding ourselves in. You know, the day goes much better, right? You are able to kind of handle things the way they come. You can you can accept them equanimously rather than try and fight them. Uh, and you just feel, uh, you know, so much more resourced and truly much higher ability to perform. I mean, there's a lot of people who will be looking at this and saying, I'm taking a lot of time away. Uh, I still got to get my work done. And that's, by the way, my lived experience, right? Um, I'm able to get a lot more done um, in the time that I actually do spend working. So I don't feel the need, right? I haven't lost anything. That's right. That's the key thing. And I think there's a lot in what you said, which is the, the idea of, you know, you, you got to commit to something, right? Anything we do requires, it, it starts with intentionality. And the intentionality, what I'm arguing here is, will only come when you've experienced it. So there's a little chicken and egg here, which is, you've got to at least experience it to an extent in order to have the intention to inculcate it in your life. And so there is a bit of a leap of faith required to give it a trial. But what I'm saying is the trial is actually not that much of a risk because it's 10 days of your life, which you will get back in multiples of. And even if you don't, you go to one of these nice places. They're often uh, in, in, in nice locations away from the din of uh, the city and you come away recharged. So Yeah, and we'll put this in the show notes, but for, for listeners, I think you can look at dhamma.org, right? It's by the way, these meditations, like unlike there is nothing free in the world, you invest the time, but these meditations, you know, these 10 day retreats, right? You don't pay anything. They, you know, you are taken care of for 10 days, right? You have a beautiful, it's in a beautiful setting. You have, um, you know, you have a place to stay, you have food. And then you're really freed up to truly practice, right? To truly allow yourself to practice stillness and really use stillness as a way to build this practice that allows you to be equanimous. And then as uh, Manish said, also after that, allow you to be able to kind of really see the world from a place of kindness and compassion. So I will share the details. You People truly have to experience it to, to kind of know it. Otherwise, it's just I heard it. 
And I can tell you, if you find the 10 days to go experience this, your life would not, would not be the same. Uh, mine wasn't. Uh, Manisha's wasn't. And I, and I really hope you give yourself this gift. I have to let you both know that if I had to choose now between going for seven days to a triathlon training camp in Lanzarote, and trust me, I've, just, I've thought about doing that for a couple of years now. I'm actually now, after listening to this, more inclined to doing what you just suggested, Ashish and Manish. So I uh, consider someone already right now here looking to do something like that. That's great. And you're already committed to exercise so, so much that for you to opt, choose that over it uh, is, is a big, uh, big sentiment. And if you are all keen, the thing to know is because these retreats have become rather popular and during COVID, they're managing the numbers for, you know, avoiding more spreading. There's long wait lists. So these courses, as Ashish said, there is no cost associated with them. And people are volunteering their time, including the teachers. And depending on the center, they open up registration either three months in advance or six months in advance or somewhere in between. And you, at least in the U.S., they open them up at 6 a.m. in the morning of the day before whenever three months or six months are up and usually the courses fill up within a matter of an hour yes and the reason for that is there is so much demand now wow and there's only so many centers that if you're thinking about something you know apply early even if you don't end up going because there's such a wait list of people that even if you cancel later they'll find other people to fill in your spots but if you wake up one morning and say you know what i want to do this at the end of the year and it's already november well that may be hard to, to, to pull off. But I hope that that was helpful. Yeah, Manish, thank you so much for spending the time with us. And, you know, um, for our listeners, I think in this, in this podcast, we are bringing perspectives, you know, from the corporate world, experts around the practices that allow us to truly rewire our brains for happiness, rewire our ways away from fear and suffering. And Vipassana specifically is a very, very powerful way that can we can truly rewire our brain and can benefit from uh, all of these. So thank you for sharing your own journey. Thank you for being the role model that if you can do it and have the fine for Vipassana as a senior partner and McKinsey with the busy life that you have, anybody can. I agree. And then you can be hardwired for happiness. <laughs> thank you, Manish. Good to see you both. Thank you very much, Manish. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Happiness Squad podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Go to www.happinesssquad.com where you can catch the show notes for this episode and learn more about us and the community we are building. The community is where we gather weekly to practice and connect with other learners, teachers, and practitioners working together to unlock our best selves. Lastly, follow along on Instagram at My Happiness Squad for tons of behind the scenes as well as short videos designed just for you. It's where we hang out in between episodes. Once again, www.happinesssquad.com. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.